everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Doll Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. Today we are discussing Mr. Robot Season 2 Wrap Up. Um, we'll do two sections, spoiler and spoiler free. Um, spoiler free first, just discussing uh, final wrap up of Season 2. Uh, initial thoughts, comparisons to the first season, and then we'll do a spoiler section that includes a comparison to the third season, which I've go- I've gone ahead and started to watch, uh, started the rewatch for. Um, this podcast is sponsored by EliasRoshMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Um, so, yeah, season two. I'm gonna say straight up, it's a. Uh, the beginning of it specifically i'm going to kind of divide it by the middle it's two episodes longer than season one it is 12 episodes as opposed to the initial first season which had 10 and uh i'll say straight up it's chonky it's uh for the i think that's what the kids are saying these days it's it's chonky it's thick with two c's you know what i'm saying like there is a lot of material to be mined from um, season two of Mr. Robot. Season one has very much this tone of <clears throat> of uh, setting up the plot, you know, and introducing you to the characters and moving the plot along, and uh, has very much this balance of having Elliot. Learn uh, and and us as the viewer learn about his surroundings, the hacking, the you know, and uh, the people around him uh, that color his world, like uh, his uh, former boss Gideon or um, uh, Tyrell or someone uh, like Terry Colby. I mean, there's very interesting and dynamic characters in season one. Season two becomes so so much more conceptual in the way that it's shot, in the way it's written. And one thing I will probably knock the show a little bit, that just a little bit for, is that sometimes the camera movements lead it in a way to make it feel like something is maybe more important than it really is. Um, some people might call that pretentious. I don't want to say that's pretentious. I just say it's uh, it's good filmmaking. But sometimes... Sam Esmail or or whoever's deciding what they're going to shoot uh, just decides to shoot certain things specifically and highlight certain things that don't always necessarily feel like they make 100% sense. Specifically like in season one when I talked about uh, the the dirty sockets, I believe, uh, the the dirty dirty, uh, electrical sockets. Like I I still barely know what that means. Um, And there's a lot of imagery throughout season two that is similar, um, similarly focused, uh, like, such as Hot Carlo, which is uh, one of his quote-unquote tokens throughout season two. Um, I would have expected you to watch all of season two by now. Um, if you're along the ride, you understand what kind of ride we're going on. It's, for season two, much more, quote-unquote, conceptual and 
dreamlike in a way that doesn't always lend itself to a fully realized story that feels 100% satisfying by the end of the season. Season 2 suffers from having um, an extended amount of episodes, which I don't always necessarily think that having more episodes to your favorite television show is going to make your favorite television show better. If your favorite television show is your favorite television show, it's because they've chosen the select scenes that make sense to have in there and have edited out ones that the directors and people behind the scenes deem that um, can be saved for behind the scenes or later. The first few episodes of season two all revolve around episodes that are, you know, uh, well, let me just talk about how it was aired real quick. The first two episodes were aired on the same night, so you got two 41-minute episodes. The first one was 41, second one was 42. So you're getting uh, basically a mini-movie's worth for just the first intro of season two. So after that, it brings them back on schedule for the rest of the ten episodes. Um. But even then, those first two episodes are 41 minutes and 42 minutes. Uh, the third one came in at, at an hour and three minutes. And so uh, the only way that could possibly happen in my mind from the television standpoint is that they made it commercial free. Because generally there's about um, 10 to 15 minutes in an hour's worth of programming. And I know that Mr. Robot has been getting limited commercial interruptions, which which are generally nice, so it makes it more or less like the uh, the streaming experience and less so much like watching a television show on uh, live television. But the first, uh, yeah, so that third episode comes in in an hour. The fourth one comes in an hour five, and I believe it's around that fourth or fifth episode that I really was feeling the tug and pull of this uh, narrative start to start to sag in a way that I was like, oh, Lord. I, I, I remember watching season two originally and thinking, this isn't necessarily the most interesting stuff I've seen on Mr. Robot or on the, uh, from the plot standpoint or even from the, uh, the main character having interconflict with himself, uh, sorry, interconflict with himself. Um, there is also a season reveal that happens around season set, sorry, episode seven at the end of episode seven that a lot of people had guessed before me. I had heard podcasts about, um, what, you know, where they actually thought Elliot was, um, by now we're gonna we're gonna talk about spoilers for season two thoroughly and only season two. So I expect you to have seen all of it. Um, but season two has this overarching um, jail plot line that the majority of people um, that weren't listening to podcasts that weren't you and I, probably you weren't you and I weren't pervy to. And I think they had a much better experience with the jail reveal. I remember seeing it and I was like, wow, this really did happen. And for the past 
what is it, uh, past seven episodes, uh, Elliot is basically um, lying to us as the viewer. And so it, it did make me question the fact of having an unreliable narrator. We knew that he was unreliable in the first season, but having it to this degree in the second season, I mean, first he's hallucinating people in first season, and second season he's completely hallucinating um, people and places and, you know, authoritarian positions where, we, you know, it looks like the FBI is getting him, but it's actually doctors that are trying to get him spit up pills. Um, yeah, there's a level of trust that you have to have with the audience in some sort of narrative structure that you need to have as a control so that you know that, you know, Elliot's hallucinating or Elliot's not hallucinating. Because if we start to go in the realm of, okay, no, you know, is he dead? Is she dead? Is he hallucinating this? Is this actually happening? And you start questioning yourself to the point of you're at the end of the season and you know he's talking about dreaming Elliot is talking about having dreams and being able to walk outside of dreams and you're at a point where you could be watching Elliot walk through a dream talk to dreams dream state people and as the viewer we have no way of telling if that's actually uh, true or if it's actually happening because we are so far up uh, so far sorry down the rabbit hole or up the giant beanstalk or you know just so far in it that we don't have a narrative set way to tell where we are um, a good way that I can describe this as if you've seen inception it's about traveling through dreams well the only way they can tell that they're going you know they're going through the dreams are, you know, with a totem. And so if the, the one of the totems for the main character, Leonardo DiCaprio, is a, a, a top that spins. And so if that top never drops, he realizes he's in a dream. The thing is, there wasn't really a totem to tell if uh, Elliot or Mr. Robot, was in a dream. So it always felt like we were walking between worlds and we couldn't really tell what was real. And so that makes it feel like the stakes are removed if you can't tell if what we're actually seeing is real or not. And so season two has too much of the you know, is it real, is it not real, dream state-like sequences um, that make it frustrating for the audience to watch. For me personally, there might be people that have watched it, binged it, uh, and really liked it and thought it made all 100% sense. But I think that that is only accurate if you start to continue into season three. Uh, I, I won't talk about anything about in the season three, but season three gives the viewer a way of solidifying whether or not what's happening in our, you know, right in our in our view is actually happening or not. It, there's no mind away, uh, dream asleep or something like that. Um, there's no there. 
it doesn't seem to leave us in as much of a questioning state. And with these two extra episodes that they gave uh, Mr. Robot in season two, it leaves us questioning, but not only questioning, you know, where is Elliot? Why is he acting this way? Why does he have this weird routine of, you know, going to his mother's house, no internet, you know, uh, washing dishes, going to AA Anonymous, and then basketball, and then Leon every day? Um, it didn't make sense from the viewer standpoint, but I mean, if you really did put all the pieces together, it made sense um, that he was in jail. The problem was those two extra episodes give so much padding to make it feel like. Uh, Robe, uh, Elliot is lying to us longer than he really would be. I think that if we had removed those two episodes, he would have revealed that he was in jail at episode five, which would have been a good mic drop considering in season one, the mic drop was losing Shayla. Um, I just feel like if you're comparing both of these two, two seasons, they're so tonally different in the way that they explain the stories if uh, we were just following a couple of um, these, and I feel like we didn't really get a big gut punch of fascinating individuals like we did in the second season. Sorry, in in the first season. The first season, we get all of these colorful characters: Mr. Robot, Elliot, Darlene, uh, Krista, his therapist, you know, Gideon, I, Tyrell, and his wife. Uh, Joanna, I, I, I just thoroughly believe White Rose. I just thoroughly believe all of these characters are are new and interesting people in season one, and then in season two, we continue a lot of their stories, but we're only getting bits and pieces, mostly because we're being lied to by Elliot. And on the other end, because we're being lied by Elliot for so much of the season, for up to like episode seven. All of the other characters can't talk about um, Elliot being in jail, which is, it's deceiving again. I mean, if you go back and rewatch and you listen to like Mobley asked Darlene at one point, why didn't you, you know, go, um, why haven't you talked to Elliot? And he's like, oh, he, he can't be talked to right now, can't be disturbed, that kind of thing. Um, they were never that specific about what was Elliot's predicament. And uh, I don't know, I just feel like, the way that the end season one, they should have just given us, you know, given us the goods, told us he was in jail. And I feel like it would have just been an overall more interesting experience to have Elliot um, actually acknowledge that he's in jail. Um, let me see. I do like the reveal. The editing in this season is so much slower and the mic drop, sorry, the, uh, the needle drops with the uh, music are definitely much slower. With uh, Sam Esmail having full control of season two, I just feel like he wanted to keep the camera lingering on things much longer, um, for better or for worse. I think he had most of the writing credit, with the exception of Cora Donna, who I think joined at the end, closer to the end of season two. Um, I definitely feel that... Sam Esmail likes talking about very, uh, is it considered high concept if it's, you know, hypothetical um, endings of the world from financial standpoints and whatnot. I just feel that 
he's way more interested in talking about concepts and not so much about characters, uh, specifically in season two. But um, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say that he has an endpoint at this. You know, when when he was writing season two, because. It seems to, instead of going a straight line, it seems that we're going in a squiggly line to wherever we're going and kind of going on the scenic route. And so I am glad that Mr. Robot is ending at at the end of season four, mostly because same thing as Breaking Bad, you know, more is less. Less is, uh, you get better quality that way. And so... Overall, season two does, you know, suffer from all these high concepts, uh, dealing intercom inter conflicts with himself, um, Mister Robot shooting Elliot in the head and him coming back up saying that doesn't you know affect me. It's like, what are we actually watching? What is the what is the purpose of all this? And it becomes so, uh, like I said, down the rabbit hole in a way of thinking that it just makes it frustrating and less enjoyable as a, a medium. I know a lot of people were comparing Robot to um, uh, Lost, which had a lot of these similar, quote-unquote, Easter eggs and clues that a lot of people would like to go freeze the frame, frame-by-frame frame kind of thing, check out the background, check out Jack's tattoo or something. Same thing with Mr. Robot. They people want to know what the the paintings in the background mean and uh, what Ty, Tyrell's uh, uh, you, you know tie says about him or something. You know, just very uh, thorough, detailed uh, mythology that can really flesh out a medium. The thing is, it's kind of hard to tell if. Sam Esmail is the one controlling all of these, you know, quote unquote, Easter eggs in the background, also directing, also writing. It just seems like a lot for him to um, have on his back without too much additional help. Um, so that's probably why they got like Cora Donna on there, exec, I think executive producer or just a producer as well as a writer. But anyways, once we get that uh, reveal of I think it's around season seven. He tells us, you know, oh, by the way, I've been in jail all the time and I haven't been at my, you know, mom's place. Um, almost immediately, he's taken out of the jail, and uh, he's interacting back with, uh, you know, the F Society group and everything. And he ends up. He, I find him very cold and callous when Cisco is taken out. I I feel like he doesn't exactly understand. Um. You know how big of a deal that is at, at, at that point. Um, let me see. Let me see. This is weird. Season one. Oh, what the hell? IMDb has something wrong with the. Oh wait, I don't know. Ignore that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um. Anyways, honestly. Season two, the majority of the front half, I find uh, Mr. Robot and Elliot's plotline to be very lackluster and everyone else to be way more interesting. The introduction of Grace Gummer um, as uh, Dominique Dimpiero um, is enjoyable. I, I think she plays uh, an interesting 
lonely detective that is uh, obviously introverted and searching for something. Um, I don't know if there's enough on her bag to bring in. Because she's playing a good guy that's playing one of our favorite guys, she's kind of limited to what she can do. I will say, um, towards the latter half of the season, I thought she she became way more um, interesting to watch, especially after the 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 shooting happens from China. I think it's in, that's in episode five, Logic Bomb. Uh, let me see what else. There's a couple of uh, plot lines, like the smart house coming to life and basically running. Um, that E Corp lady out. Let me see if I can find her. E Corp lady, Susan Jacobs. So, I I remember seeing that for the first time, and it was absolutely horrifying because of uh, you know it was the slow burn. It and it used patience in a way that made it you know uh, led to it being more uh, terrifying. Um, the majority of season two, I talk about the editing is kind of elongated and the scenes are just very long. Um, I mean, Elliot and Robot are playing chess for what feels like five minutes in um, episode four. So this was one of the times when Susan Jacobs is, uh, you know, running and then she goes to her house and then the house is just the, the lights are going crazy. The sound is going berserk. The shower is heating up to an, an an intense degree, boiling while she's in the shower. Um, and then it makes it really, it, the air conditioning's shot all the way down to, you know, below freezing. And so the house is basically just attacking back. And we find out from, uh, you know, earlier that it's F Society. Um, later, they end up accidentally... Well, it's not really accidental. Uh, Darlene kill, straight up kills her. And we... A lot of people think that Darlene knew all about um, Susan Jacobs and her heart condition from her emails that they went through. Hard to say exactly what she was thinking. But this is the first body, I think, that Darlene has on her. And I'm not... A hundred percent sure by the end of the season that that body is pinned on her. I know the the body is burned in the same place they do the Susan Jacobs' body is burned in the puppy oven, I believe, um, which is hor- horrifying. I remember seeing that the first time. It didn't really, um, you know, strike me the first time how bad it was. But that's just traumatizing. It's straight up like like psychopath level of shit like i i don't even know what what to say about that um because it's it's not so much like fight or flight anymore i mean she's going way above and beyond to make sure that susan jacobs is uh taken care of and i just from a psychological standpoint i i think it would fuck you up um uh anything else that we need to cover from that not too much. Tyrell is not in this season all that much, which is disappointing for me personally. He was one of my favorite aspects of season one. So uh, naturally, I was like, damn it. I wanted him to show up in like so many different scenes. Um, I like Joanna, but 
the stuff they have her doing is, you know, receiving these presents from Scott Knowles all throughout the uh, the season, and it's left in a way like for the viewer. For the viewer, we're going on like ten weeks of guessing who these presents are from. And I, I think somebody in the podcast said, guess it was from Scott Knowles. And I never believed it was from him because I never thought it would make much sense. You know, the, the sonogram, the, uh, pacifier, I think, um, or, or baby stuff. I don't know. And, uh, a cell phone where he's just calling and breathing on it. It just, um, didn't make much sense for me. I felt like they were writing it in a way that it could be from either Tyrell or Scott, I honestly didn't see what Scott had it in for. I, mean, I know that it's kind of hard to hard to describe. I Joanna specifically is is hard to pinpoint because she takes home one of the bartenders that was at the E Corp party where Mrs. Knowles was taken uh, was killed and. From there, it looks like she's grooming this guy to be set up to um, testify against Scott Knowles. But that would mean she knew that Scott Knowles was going to attack her or do something to uh, provoke her um, to, to have law lawful bounds on him or something like that. You know, um, it really just doesn't track for me personally i know that it's like broad but i feel like the only way that all of this would work is if she knew that scott was going to attack her all the way in season uh, sorry the end of season two episode i think nine or was it ten ten or, I, I don't know it, it was toward the latter half of the season it kind of starts to run all together but um regardless um, I don't think it would track. I mean, it was hard to, I don't know. It, for me personally, I just felt like I was being led on as a viewer and from having to watch it week to week, it was more frustrating than not. Going back, rewatching it and kind of analyzing it again, it does, I don't know, it sort of tracks, but I mean, um, from the plot, I don't know about that. It, it, I, I feel weird about it. I know that it was to get the bartender guy to um, testify. And it just feels ah, convenient, I guess, for uh, for all of that to happen and a little bit contrived in a way. Although I will say the acting, as usual, phenomenal. The, the scene between Joanna and uh, Tyrell, sorry, not Tyrell, uh, Scott. Uh, Scott, oh my gosh, it, it, it's amazing. It, it, it's phenomenal. I will say it was uh, it was hard to watch that you know Scott hit Joanna like hard. He straight up like punches her like I would expect concussion, broken bone. You know, like her face should have been way more messed up. I mean it, it was messed up, but it was not <laughs> swollen at all. Um, it, it would be definitely messed up. Um, let me think. I do remember them showing similar shots of the shoes and the struggle that um, was happening between Scott Knowles and Joanna, kind of shot similarly as they did with Tyrell and uh, Mrs. Knowles. 
um, you know, the shoe struggle uh, and the feet kind of wailing back and forth. I, I just noticed that they were trying to kind of shoot it in a similar way. I definitely think shooting on top of a skyscraper uh, was much more enticing and not quite as uh, sensual, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it was a weird it's It's a weird collection of scenes that end up favoring Joanna towards the end of this season. Um, also, she introduces uh, a letter for divorce or uh, f- from Tyrell, which I still don't understand because it seemed that she was always on his side. Um, let me see anything else that we need to cover. Craig Robinson, I didn't really talk about him at the beginning of the season. I'm kind of going all all back and forth. Um, and I kind of want I didn't have time to do pick out any scenes specifically. Um but uh <laughs> sorry, there's someone listed as old man at the bar. <laughs> I don't know. It's always find it funny when they put that ad there's adjectives on it. Um let me see, let me see. Craig Robinson at the beginning of the season. He's a a great addition to the cast. I know that I talked about not having a great, you know, uh, list of brand new actors. I will say I love Joey Badass in this. Um he's he's fun to watch and I think he's a pretty good actor as you know, considering he, he came from the rap game, I guess. That he's trying to get in the act game. Um but uh, having Craig Robinson there, uh, having this teetering, um, you know, lovable slash sadistic guy was interesting to have on the uh, on the cast. I think his character would have been served better if we would have known that he was working for the prison system. As a matter of fact, I felt. When Elliot was being uh, introduced into the 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 jail and having to strip and having to you know see Craig Robinson and get his fingerprints taken and all this other stuff, um, I just thought that that would have been a way more interesting um, show to watch to actually see Elliot to go through these. Excuse me. So, anyways. Uh, Season two definitely drops a ton of the social engineering hacking as well as the regular hacking. I mean, the first few episodes, we don't get hardly any hacking in season two. And it's so many questions revolving, like, what is his daily routine? Um, We're learning about, you know, the F Society building possibly being evil, which, you know, that's actually way more interesting. Um but yeah, we all of season one was showing how Elliot could socially engineer just about anybody, and he did, regardless if he wanted to or not. Um, the second, the you know, the second thing was that he was actually hacking people. That doesn't happen until maybe episode five. So two of the biggest aspects of Mr. Robot feel somewhat dropped and they just feel like they're so much, they're traded in for so much more inner monologue about, 
you know, what is life kind of thing and who am I and what is control and control is an illusion kind of thing and what is the red wheelbarrow, you know, just so so many high concepts that made it to a point where you're like, oh, am I watching the same show? Like, it um, it, it definitely became frustrating. Um, let me see anything else. I, I, I just hate that chess episode. I thought it was so stupid and... For them to just kind of continue continuously come to the same agreement that they are going to draw um, is not fundamentally interesting. It's like get you know I did not I don't want to watch them play chess, um, and I think it is at the end of sorry it's at the end of episode five where he gets beat um, and he sees what happens. I got a rat tail. Yeah, it gets a little bucked. Um, let's see, let's see. Um, yeah, the whole Susan Jacobs plotline, we already talked about that. It should be a lot more traumatizing for Darlene, I would assume. We know what happens uh, to Cisco, unfortunately. Um, we definitely see a disconnect of... Mr. Robot and Elliot around episode 9. And things just start to get really fucking weird. I mean, they straight up get like... Uh, to the point where he thinks that he's starting to get his life back together. And all of a sudden, Mr. Robot is having conversations with other people. And he has no prior... He has no knowledge of it. And so, I felt like having this dynamic of, you know, who's in control is very interesting. But it also introduces that troubling concept of like... All right, there's there's multiple ways that this dual personality thing can work, and if we're gonna get shuffled around in it, we need to have our own totem, sorry, totem, totem, so that we know, you know, who's in control, what everybody is really seeing. Um, and so that I I like some of that, um, some of that work, um, the Joanna. And Mr. Robot, Elliot scene in episode 10 is is really, uh, it was intense re-watching it. I, I remember seeing all that. And this is also when Angela is approached by uh, the people that take her to the White Rose house or whatever to get questioned and ask her if she's ever cried during sex and all of that. Um, and I believe Angela is talking to a mini version of herself or something like that or it's herself when she's young which i feel like she would recognize herself if she was if that was her um so anyways there there's a whole like smorgasbord of things that happen toward the latter half of the season and along with tyrell coming back sort of coming back what feels like in a dream state i mean elliot is freaking out the whole time uh, Tyrell is there and questioning and putting questions in our head. Is he there? Is he really there? And nobody will give us a straight fucking answer. Even through the end of the season, it frustrated me to hell the fact that it felt like the last two episodes could have been a whole dream state and we would have never known. Um, White Rose ends up telling Angela that, um, you know, there's something that can be done about the 5-9 hack and everything can be reversed, which makes it seem like there's a big time loop thing about to happen, but I don't know exactly. Um, 
I, I just will, I'll say that because of the pacing, because of the questioning, because there's no totem to tell us if we are in real life or if we're in a dream, it becomes so frustrating toward the end of the season to tell what exactly is going on. And we're in a part, including on top of all that, sorry, <laughs> on top of all that, we're questioning whether if, uh, what stage two is, and we're we're finding that out at the end of the season two finale. And honestly, season two, I I don't know if you would have taken out those two extra episodes, all of this would have been pushed back, and I just feel like we would have had a more condensed season, um, less control as an illusion kind of thing, and I, I don't know. Um, let me see. Let me see. When Tyrell comes, well, let me let me talk about the one. Ep- I'm kind of jumbling all over the place. Sorry. The one episode that does trouble me from a misleading standpoint for the viewers is the '90s throwback episode. Now, from the production standpoint and them recreating like this full house narrative for Mr. Robot and all these you know hilarious intros and stuff like that, and they even go to the point of making commercials that are like from the 90s and pulling some of them, um, I thought that was clever. I really liked that. Now, there's a point where Tyrell is in the back of the car that they are driving on the quote-unquote 90s Mr. Robot sitcom show, and Mr. Robot and Elliot... Uh, have him tied up in the back of a trunk. And the way that that plot ends is Mr. Robot ends up throwing Tyrell back in the the car trunk or something like that, the, the trunk of the car, and hitting him with... Uh, a, it's a wrench or something like that? It's not a wrench. It's uh, something. I don't know something metal and it implies that it kills him and there's blood splattered all over uh, robots pants and over all over himself christian slater and it is heavily implied throughout that episode and the end of the episode and i think into the next episode that tyrell was taken out and it was either him or us and none of that makes sense because None of that happens until the end of the season. He talks about, uh, you know, taking him out and, and and that type of thing, and that doesn't make sense to me. I I fundamentally don't understand why Robot is lying to Elliot specifically about killing Tyrell. It didn't make any sense besides making us as the viewer uh, question whether Tyrell was alive or not, and so. I think the way the next episode opens is uh, Tyrell and uh, Joanna look like they're in a heaven state. They're at a party where everyone's dressed in white. And so there's just, uh, and it's a flashback, I believe. It's the first time they're meeting the Knowles. And that's in the next immediate episode. So it just feels like there's so much imagery that leads to um, Tyrell not being alive before they show him being alive. That is just misleading in a way that doesn't feel clever. And that's that's one thing I really dislike about uh, 
robot when he's just straight up lying to him. And it feels like because of that, we're getting so much false information that it's like, why should I believe anything he says then, you know? So it's, uh, it, that's one of the more disappointing parts of season two. But anyways, let me see if there's anything that we can cover from a spoiler-free, um, let me see. Um, we get the quote with the red wheelbarrow and the chickens from Tyrell saying that he, he had gotten that from that saying it was a poem from his father or something like that. Um, let me see. Anything else? I think that's really just about it. Um... Yeah, let's hop into spoilers for Season 2. So by now, I would have expected you to... Sorry, spoilers for uh, past Season 2. So by now, I would have expected you to have watched all of Season 1, 2, and 3 completed. Um, As of right now, Season 4 has not aired. Um, So we're talking about spoilers for the the full first three seasons. Um, off the top, like I said, this is a fucking chonky ass season. Um, knowing what Leon ends up, uh, having to do. Oh, I, I think I completely forgot about the, uh, the white rose and price scene at the very end of this season. I'm, I don't know. There's not much to say. I mean, just talking about more plans for the hack, if I believe correctly. I can't, you know, I'll have to go back and look. I'll probably add it to the end of Season 3 wrap-up so that we'll just talk about it then. But anyways, um, I forgot how limited amount there is of Zhang, of uh, uh, B.D. Wong's character's White Rose. He definitely goes between Zhang and White Rose uh, a lot this season. I believe we only see him as White Rose in season one. And then in season three, we only get a few clips of him just like lounging around and and maybe explaining at the beginning of season three. Now I remember. Yes, now I remember. He says that, uh, you know, once uh, Elliot has completed the work for them that they need, he will have permission to die. And uh, we we kind of get an insight of what they give it, you know, how much they give a shit about Elliot. Although we know what happens at the end of season three, um, that Leon ends up coming to the rescue and capping everybody. Um, I will say the addition of Bobby Carnival in the next season, season three is really the injection that this, uh, show needed. It needed a quirky, uh, you know, wolf style um, actor that was confident and could deliver, uh, you know, not only comedic but also menacing lines uh, in a way that Bobby Cannavale does. He, uh, I think that character would have been better suited to have been put into the end of season two because he's talked about throughout saying that you know he's talked to Tyrell he's been in touch with White Rose he's he's really been a part of this thing behind the scenes but we're just now seeing him at the beginning of season three 
Um, anything else we got to talk about from uh, the Dom's partner, the other FBI guy that is... Um, I forget his name. That he, we know that he's dirty at at the end of uh, what is his name? Damn it, uh, Dom Dom, Agent Santiago. Sorry, we know that uh, Agent Santiago is dirty at this point. It does make for a much more interesting uh, view when we're watching all of his. Scenes. It definitely has that you know effect of uh, when you watch it the first time, you're like oh, and then you when you watch it the second time, you're like oh, you know. <laughs> There's a lot more insight behind the reasoning of things that he says. Also, he talks about having Tyrell's kid. I don't remember if that means that Dark Army has Tar- uh, Tyrell's kid over, you know, holding him over, holding him, holding Tyrell's kid over him as hostage, kind of. Uh, or his leverage, sorry. Um, anything else? Let me see, let me see. Um, the conversation with White Rose and Angela, I will say, definitely felt much more... Uh, I don't know what the word is. It's not not useless, but it definitely felt more like they were playing a game of Ring Around the Rosie rather than explaining anything that was going on. And there was only like one or two lines that White Rose really said toward the ends of that, of that conversation that really led itself to explaining what was going on. And it felt like it implied more like, let's reverse the hack, let's reverse it all, let's bring, you know, let's... let's fix everything and whatever white rose told angela which made angela go tell her lawyer to fuck off basically i i mean it worked and based on what we know at the end of season three no at the be in the middle of season three i I think the second second or third episode uh white rose tells price that you know she's located his you know precious diamond or whatever or his, his precious commodity in his work which happens to be Angela and by the time by this we know um we know Price and is Angela's real father um so that definitely leads for way more interesting conversations between Angela and Philip and also Angela and White Rose the thing is I Want a little bit more detail on that. I don't remember if we get too much detail about that. Um, let me see. There's also an older guy that Angela sleeps with at the bar at one point after she does some uh, everybody wants to you know rule the world karaoke. Um, but I thought that old guy was going to come back to be maybe an E-Corp member or something like that. I'm not sure if that's actually true because the the guy that plays it is kind of a well-known actor. I don't remember his name. I actually was just talking about he was listed as old guy at the bar. Um, but, yeah, let me see. Let me see. I don't, I don't actually think I have it in front of me. The old guy. Mark Moses, yeah. he's. I think he's well-known actor from... Uh, Stuff like Mad Men and uh, Homeland. Um, 
Let's see, anything else we need to cover? There's really not... <laughs> Xander Jones. That was the, the banker that uh, Darlene was sleeping with at one point, stole his gun. It's kind of an interesting name. Uh, there's so many scenes I feel like I see like four out of five people are like dead. And I'm like, holy fuck, where's the show going? It um, definitely blows my mind with the, the, the death count, the kill count. Um, I feel like the only person we really lose in season three that I can remember are some of the bodyguards and uh, Agent Santiago. But, I, you know, if we had lost, like, a Dom Dempiero or something like that, that would have been, oh, shit, that was intense. I don't recall major deaths in season three, although I do remember really liking season three over season two. Mostly because the pacing's back, the music's back, the direction is a lot tighter and I just feel like they they gave Sam Esmail some notes and said we're going back to 10 episodes and you need to make you need to make every scene count thank you for watching the Lucky Dog podcast listening whatever you're doing um, we are going to come out with the Mr. Robot season 3 wrap up coming up soon and gearing up for Mr. Robot the finale final season season four and uh, i haven't exactly decided if we're going to cover it week by week i don't know if that's feasible at this point but um if we get enough feedback and everyone's enjoying it then yeah then we'll we'll, we'll take a look at it and uh, we'll get back to you on it thank you for listening to look at all podcast paypal.me slash look at all podcast for all donations check out all the instagrams facebook groups uh twitch pages all the links are down below Thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. EliasRoushMedia.com. Thank you for listening to the Lucky Dog Podcast. And take it easy.